Hey, so we're going to continue on uh, in our series in uh, Psalm 23. And uh, so if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do so. I'm going to read from NIV this time, and I invite you to join me. And Psalm 23 reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A brief prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for your spirit that illuminates the scripture to us. Thank you for this gathering, Lord. Pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. Thank you that we can worship you in this way and speak to us. Use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. And whatever you don't, I don't. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let me have a seat. So as we continue on in, in this series of Psalm 23, just a quick reflection of where we've been over the last several weeks as we've walked slowly, two weeks at a time for each verse. So we considered that the Lord is my shepherd and that we lack nothing and, and everything, everyone has a Lord. Something or someone is Lord of our life and ideally it's Christ. And when Christ is the Lord of our life, he is the good shepherd, and we recognize that. And we don't have to fear, and we lack nothing, and we can be content. And being content in the Lord means that we are comfortable with where we're at. And that we're not trying to be greedy, we're not trying to press, we're, we're content where we're at. And then we also discuss how he makes me lie down in green pastures. And that whole image that I continue to point to is whenever you're trying to make the dog sit. And that kind of pushing that rear end down or putting that toddler back to bed for the millionth time. And then he leads us beside quiet waters. And how when we walk with him, he leads us and he, he replenishes our soul and, and we talked about the sheep, and during this time we talked a lot about the sheep and how we are called sheep several times in the Bible because we are, and how sheep won't go near water that's moving for fear that they'll die because their wool will fill up with water and they'll fall in. And then verse 3, he refreshes my soul. Nothing can refresh our soul except time with the Lord. And how he feeds us. And again, going back and circling back that if something else is the Lord of our life, it will never refresh our soul. And then we talked about how he guides us along right paths. And then we went in some time discussing how we can hear from God through prayer and through his word and spending time. And as he guides our paths, and I don't know about you, and even Richard mentioned it last, last week, but for me, I, I kind of like to know at least a couple of steps but sometimes it's one faithful step at a time. Or as I described it, we're walking down a dark road with no light except for a 99-cent flashlight. And it's all for his glory. The reason why there's right paths is because he is guiding us, and it's for his glory, and not just because we bring him glory, but he brings glory to himself because he's faithful. 
the great thing, one of the many great things about the Lord is that he's faithful even when we're not. And then last week, Richard talked about even though walking through the darkest valley or the valley of death, you've feared no evil. And then Richard showed us some pictures too of that valley, the actual valley that David was referring to, a physical valley and also the valley of our souls. And then this morning, we're going to talk about your rod and your staff they comfort me. So then the question is, is what does that mean? What, does that, what did King David mean when he wrote that? What does that mean for us? And in short, it really can be summed up as your rod and your staff. They protect me and they correct me. They protect me and they correct me. And a lot of times my default is I, I celebrate and I'm excited and I feel comforted when I know that God is going to protect me. But when he's going to correct me, I'm like the five-year-old who tries to run away from their dad. But yet both protection and correction is what brings us comfort. Both the rod and the staff, they bring us comfort. So at this time, just, just to understand what, what features, what instruments the shepherd actually had, the rod was a two-foot club, and the staff was anywhere between a six- and seven-foot slender shaft with a curl or a, or a Y at the end, and that was the instruments. Each, each child, and usually 99.9% of the time, it was the youngest son who got the great joy of being a shepherd for his father's sheep. It wasn't a joyous job, but it was a respected job. So at some point, somewhere around 10 or 11, the, the young boy would go out with his dad and find a tree and slowly and surely create his instruments, both the rod and the staff. And I was reading that sometimes it took up to seven months to get it just right because it had to fit just right in the hand. And, the, and then the, the silver or the rod itself would have to be just right. And then when, as they grew up, sometime around adulthood, they would have to do it all over again. So the rod is a symbol of authority and protection and power and discipline and defense. And the staff is kindness and comfort. But the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, weren't the only people who used this symbol. We also, do you recognize this? We'll show you the next picture. There's a rod and a staff. The Egyptians used it. And I could spend a whole time, this is not a history lecture, but I counted 32 different nations that used the rod and the staff throughout history. There's probably more, but I got tired after that many of looking, um, that use that symbol. And so much so, I just picked this one because it's perhaps the most famous one that you would recognize. So when King David is talking about these symbols, these, these actual tools that a real shepherd would use, he also knew the history of his people when they were enslaved by the Egyptians. Granted, this is King Tut's, and he wasn't the... Um, in charge at the time, but still, you still see it. It's always this, this power and authority, and I can bring you comfort at the same time. So this morning, what I, what I was hoping to consider to talk about is how can a rod and a staff both protect us, correct us, and how is that comforting? And then what does that authority and symbol actually mean in our lives today, what it meant to King David back then? And then consider it. And so before we jump into it, just a couple of things from Scripture. We won't turn to it, but just as for your consideration as you think about it. 
with the rod, if you go back and read through Exodus, when you read about Moses and Aaron, what did God give them to show and display power? A rod or staff. Sometimes the rod and the staff were made in one. Sometimes it was two. But if you remember that Moses, with his power splitting the Red Sea, had what in his hand? Correct. I know you didn't say it, but I'm just pretending you did. All right. Yeah, and then whenever Aaron, whenever he displayed the power, because if you remember, Moses was nervous. He said, I'm not a very good speaker. And then God said, who made your mouth? But anyways, go get your brother. Hey, look, there he is. And then Aaron, you remember, he threw it down. It turned into a serpent. The magi of the Egyptian pharaoh, they did it too. But Aaron's staff ate the other snakes. It's a sign of power, this authority. So as we consider this, I'm, I'm going to talk about the, the rod here first, and then we'll move into the staff and what it means to us. And at least it brought me great comfort to recognize who God is as he's talking about the rod and the staff. As Richard pointed out last week, we are now in second. We, we went from third person to second person. The first three verses, the Lord, he, he, the Lord, he guides. And now it's even though I walk because you are with me. Now he's recognizing. So as, as now David is writing about as he's walking with his sheep, as the Lord is walking with him, notice that the rod and the staff is taking place in the valley, but not in the place on the hilltop. So why, would we, why do we need protection? It's not a trick question. Why do you need protection? Why do you lock your doors at night? Well, where I was from, we locked our doors at night and... Still, the cars got broken into. It didn't matter. But why do, you, why do you lock everything up? Why do you have a safe? We were gone over the weekend, and there was a safe in every hotel. Why, why, why is this sense of protection, this personal property, this person, why is that so important to us? It's because what we place in these, these safes and these different places and, and locks behind locks is because what we find important, we're willing to protect. What we find important, we're willing to make sure it's just right. Talk about your first car. If you were into cars, you probably washed it every weekend. And you polished that baby out every weekend, even if it was just primer. Like every weekend you did it. Or whatever your favorite thing is, whatever your favorite toy, you took care of it because it was important to you. And the same thing, we are important to Christ, so he takes care of us. So as we consider this, Two, two main things that the rod represents, and we see this even throughout history. One other one that I wanted to mention just because I said there was several, but you, even if you go back and look at old cowboy movies and watch it, what do they call their revolvers? A rod or the silver rod. It is always quick to draw, and that's what the shepherd is doing. So as we consider what the rod is, the two main things that I see here throughout Scripture, and we'll cover it a little bit, is the number one, the rod brings comfort because it fights off enemies. It fights off enemies. God does not have to leave and get his weapon and then come back. The cowboys at the time when they were walking always had their pistols in, on them. They were always ready to fight. Uh, and then you can go down the list. But he's always prepared much of this sermon series came about because I read the book from Philip Keller, A Shepherd's View of Psalm 23. 
And one of the stories that he told that I found so fascinating, so encouraging about fighting off enemies, because in my mind, when I think of a shepherd and we're in a valley, one of the descriptions when we were in Israel is when we did walk into that valley is that there would be animals, wolves or whatever, and and the wolves would stand at the very top and look down at us. But you know what was more intimidating about the wolves being up there is the shadow that they, they cast. They seem bigger than life. They, they were more intimidating. And then I realized I was more scared of the shadow than the actual creature. And of course, the guide was there to protect us. And I don't know, they were probably trained wolves just for entertainment. I don't know. But, but just thinking about that. But Philip Keller tells this story. And he was, he was an actual shepherd, both a little bit in Africa and then whenever he moved um, to Canada, to the west, uh, west side of British Columbia, he was a shepherd. But he tells a story that when he went back to Africa, as a photographer, he was taking photos of elephants. And he wanted the elephants to kind of run out. So he had this great idea. He asked his shepherd friend, who was only about 16 at the time, to help him roll this boulder down this cliff. And he thought, if we rolled this boulder down this cliff, all the elephants will run away. Fantastic, right? So as they're pushing and pushing, he has this young 16-year-old shepherd with him. And as they finally push the boulder down, all of a sudden a cobra coils up and is about to strike. And he said immediately before I recognize it was a cobra, that 16-year-old hit with his rod the cobra and killed it. He said what was fascinating, what he said that he didn't realize until later, he talks about this in his sermon actually, is while I was pushing with both hands, the shepherd was pushing with both hands like this, always having his rod in his hand. So he was quick to strike, which just reminds me, should remind us, that's, that's the Lord. It's not that he's not unprepared to step in it's he's always ready. That picture of the Lord is always protecting us. And as Philip Keller talks about how he didn't even see it, he was admiring his boulder rolling down, and there was the cobra. And even before he recognized it, it was already dealt with. So the rod brings us comfort because the good shepherd's rod is always in his hand. It never leaves his hand unless he throws to strike it. Strike an enemy. So why does the rod bring comfort? Because it fights off enemies. And what I appreciate is even the enemies that I don't even know that are there. I do wonder sometimes how much is God doing in the background? How much fighting is taking place that I don't even know? I go back to the story and again in Exodus later on when the Moabites, they, they hire a sorcerer to curse down into the valley, the Israelites. And each time, all three times when he's trying to curse the Israelites, the Lord covers his mouth and doesn't let him do that. That rod that brings comfort to fight off the enemies. Even while I'm working so hard to push whatever boulder in life that I think is important, yet all that the good shepherd is fighting on our behalf. The other one, the other use for the rod that shepherds would use is for inspection. Have you ever heard passing under the rod? So picture this, the shepherd would hold out his rod, just this two-foot rod, and he would have each sheep 
pass underneath it from time to time as they were going back to the sheepfold or back to the next field. And he would hold it just low enough that he could count each one. And the shepherd was counting each one at the end of the day to make sure none was missing, not a single one was missing. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He leads the, leaves the 99 for the one. That great comfort to know that as he's counting each one, he knows that whenever he gets to whatever number it is, if there's one missing, not only will the good shepherd know that one is missing, but know exactly which one is missing. I know I had told the story before, probably here and in many groups, is one of the very first things that Natalie and I uh, got to do was when she was doing children's ministry, and we were only dating. We weren't, she didn't even know that she liked me yet, but I volunteered to look good to go to camp, kids camp, for five whole days. (laughs) That's a lot. And uh, I thought I would look good, and, and I had a rambunctious group of boys, and, and uh, one thing that we were taught in training is every so often, just count up your boys and make sure you didn't lose one. I only had six. There's so many times I only had three. <laughs> you would think that after a while I would notice this, but I did it. It was just, I just realized, and it was to the point where I just did the buddy system, and I made them hold hands which was a joke because then it turned into a fight. But just knowing like, and when it, whenever we got back, the dads and the moms asked, how were the boys? And I said, oh, they were great. Said, what was the hardest part, do you think? Was it at night not sleeping? I said, no, it was keeping track of your son. I lost him like eight times, but he's here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and it was to the point at the end of the week, whenever I would count, even at a big, large dining hall, I knew which one was missing before I was done counting. Like, I, I just knew. And just considering this, that intimacy of, of the sheep passing under the rod. But, but passing under that rod to be counted only goes partway. It was a Levitical law. In Leviticus 27.32, we won't read all of Leviticus 27. It's, we just won't. But maybe one day we'll do a series of Leviticus. We'll see that. But it reads this. It says, every tithe or tenth of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So this is where passing under the rod would come or passing the line. And, and really what it was, what was happening is every tenth, that's where we get the tithing concept from, would be set apart to be holy But in the New Testament, what we will see is that every sheep that crosses underneath the rod is expected to be holy. Every sheep, every one of us is expected to be set apart. That's what holy means, to be set apart for the Lord. So passing under that, each one, each sheep was counted by the shepherd, and the shepherd knew exactly which one. If you turn to Ezekiel 20, verse 37 Continuing on, this is whenever God is talking about through the prophet Ezekiel of returning the people back to the land. First, that they were going to be banished. We talked about that in Nehemiah, Ezra. But he said this in verse 37, I will examine you carefully and hold you to the terms of the covenant. I will examine you carefully. So routinely, when a sheep would pass underneath this rod, the shepherd would stop that sheep. All the sheep would stop. 
and the shepherd would cause, make the sheep lie down. He makes me lie down in green pasture. This is the other part of why he makes us lie down. And he would use the rod to go through the wool to inspect not only the wool, but to, the, to inspect the skin to make sure that everything was in line, to, to make sure that there was no injuries, no bugs, no, no issues at all. One commentary says the shepherd would run his rod backwards or across the grain, as it were, of the wool. The rod separated the wool, allowing the shepherd to look down deep onto the sheep's skin. He was able to see both the quality of the skin and the wool. And it would go on, it would appear the term having the wool pulled over his eyes came from this. Because a bad shepherd would say, you're fine, keep going, but intimately. And some of the shepherds would have hundreds, if not thousands, of sheep in their care. And think of how many sheep Christ has in his care. But he inspects us and watches us and looks at us. And there's peace and comfort that comes from that if you're willing to do that. See, we are always trying to have one without the other. We always want love without discipline. And as parents, if you're a parent in here, you know that. If you're a human being deep down inside, you know true love is not without discipline. So the inspection, and then we'll talk about how the sheep cared for that later on with the oil in a couple of weeks. But as challenging as it is to consider being examined someone, what happens if we just invited everyone just to line up and let me have a look at you? Everyone can see you, weirdo, right? Let's take a look at you. But you know whenever you're in accountability and, you're, and your accountability partner asks you how you're doing, how are you really doing, how are you really, really doing, and then finally you say good, bad, indifferent, or whatever's going on. It's that, that intimacy that you have that you're allowing someone to ask you those questions, those probing questions, and ultimately God. And I know that we're in an individualistic, independent society, and deep down, way down deep, we want to be our own independent. I have a, my own mirror. I can take a look at what's going on. But consider this. When you go to the doctor on a routine, Routine examination. Imagine if the doctor came in and said, Ash, you stick out your tongue. Say, ah. You go, ah. You go, you're fine. See you next year. Would that be appropriate? Some of you are like, yeah, that would be all right. <clears throat> but is that really a true examination? What happens if something's wrong? What happens if you have an ailment? What happens if you have an injury? And like, no, nah, I don't want to x-ray. I don't want to MRI. I don't want to, I don't really want to know what's going on. See, I, I, I think deep down inside, whenever you say that to yourself, I really don't know, want to know what's going on. Deep down inside, you know there's something wrong. You know there's something wrong and you don't want the, the doctor to take a look. You don't want your accountability partner, your spouse, whoever it is, to really know. And the, and the funny thing is, is we, we think we can lie to everybody in the world, and we probably can, but we can't lie to God, and we can't lie to ourselves. But just considering that, considering that King David is writing this, again, at the, the time in the order in which he wrote, wrote this, in the valley, in the darkest moments of our life, is when the shepherd uses the rod to do the inspection to make sure everything's okay. 
Now, why not on the mountaintop high? Why not when everything is grand and the sun is out? Why not then? Honestly, it's because that's when the sheep are running free and are excited. I know for me, I hold hand in hand with the Lord. I try to every single day of my life. But when things are going bad, I squeeze, I ask them, I beg them, don't let go of me. It's the whole C.S. Lewis quote, in the good times, God whispers. In the medium times, he talks. But in my pain, he yells. So in this fearful time of being in the valley is when we're really willing to lay down and let the good shepherd inspect us. See, the Lord is faithful to do these inspections and we must be willing and faithful to ask him to do so to reveal it to us. That's why in Psalm 139, this is probably a familiar passage for many of you. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Is David at saying this to the Lord because his heart has been closed off to the Lord and the Lord can't get in to see it? No. The Lord sees his heart. When he says, search me, O God, and know my heart, that word knowing in the Hebrew, the better English translation should be, and make known to me my heart. And from there, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Because these anxious thoughts aren't of you, Lord. And then point out anything in me that offends you. Have you ever prayed like that? Don't do it if you don't mean it, because he's faithful to do it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Reveal to me my heart. Test me. Show me my anxious thoughts. And that's exactly what passing underneath the rod really means. And what does that modern application to us? Yes, there are still shepherds today with their rod and their staff, but what does that rod look like to us right now? It's What are we passing under every day or should be passing under every day is the word of God and by his spirit. So perhaps this week, whenever you sit down to have your quiet time in scripture, perhaps you can start off by saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. And then begin to read whatever passage or plan or whatever you're doing because he's faithful to reveal. Because really, ultimately, God's purpose in life is not to make us happy. It's to make us more like his son, Jesus. And he loves us so much that he doesn't want us just to be happy. He wants us to continue to work in his spirit through his word. And he continues to work on us so that way we are more like his son. But that's hard work. That's stuff that we don't like. The, we like the, the club, the rod, when it's beating animals. Like, yeah, get them, God. Get them, Jesus. Get them. But not, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not me. Be kind. Give me a hug. But now, now we're going to talk about the staff. The staff also brings comfort. That's why he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
God is always with us. This, this staff is a sign that he is always with us. Not, not only does he have the power, but he's always with us. Philip Keller notes this. Three ways a shepherd manages his sheep with his staff. It's used to draw sheep together into an intimate relationship. So not only is the staff is the staff is used individually, but it is corporately for all of us to bring us all together in an intimate relationship. That's why life groups are so important. Do it. Sign up. Be part of a life group. This is great, but when you show up here and someone asks you, how are you doing? And you say, fine, and that's a full face lie. You can get away with it in a larger group, but in a smaller group, that wrinkle suggests otherwise. That vein suggests otherwise. So it's, it's used to draw the sheep together in intimate relationship. He will use the staff to gently lift a newborn lamb and bring it to its mother if they become separated. See, the, the shepherd does this because he doesn't want to use his bare hands for fear that the ewe will reject her offspring if it bears the odor of the hands upon it. And since I go through rabbit trails quite frequently, I looked into this a little bit more, and what I read is a lot of times what shepherds will do is, is they will lay their staff down into the pen to guarantee that it always smells like the sheep. And then it will continue on, and the shepherd will also lay down with his sheep. A good shepherd smells like his sheep. And that's what our good shepherd did. He came to earth to smell like us, to die for us. But he uses this this way of bringing forward the, the little baby that may have, the little lamb that may have ran off to bring it closer to its mother without putting its own scent. It's like the work of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and not that, not that God the Father will reject the Holy Spirit in us, but it's to guide us back, to present us, to speak in our behalf, to bring us. The staff is also used for guiding sheep through a new gate or along a dangerous, difficult routine. He will use the slender stick to press it gently against the animal's side. And the pressure guides the sheep in the way the owner wants it to go. Thus the sheep will, is reassured, he goes on, of the proper path. It's a reassurance. If the shepherd's staff, he says, let's say is six feet long, it means that his arm and his hand can extend that far. And a very good shepherd is able to use the staff almost as well as he can use his hand. That's what our good shepherd is. That pushing, not correcting yet. I know several weeks ago I had mentioned that sometimes, well, when we see the picture of Jesus carrying a lamb and sometimes it's bandage on its legs, in the Old Testament or in the ancient times, very rarely, but sometimes, the shepherd would break the legs of the lamb. If it was a naughty lamb, if it continued to run off to give it one last chance because it knew that within the six weeks that it would take to heal the legs, he, the shepherd would have to carry the lamb. And the lamb would intimately know the shepherd carrying it. And ideally, after those six weeks when the lamb is able to walk on its own, it will never leave the shepherd's side. Now, if you look at it today, they don't do that anymore. Infection and 
it looks like it was rarely used. Some commentaries argued if they didn't even do it. But the question, at least that I see for those against it, I want the Lord to jump in the way. I believe in free will, but man, if I'm doing something dumb, I want the Lord to either directly come and knock my legs out from under me, or I want one of you to do it. Seriously. You, it's the whole description I heard earlier this week. I was talking to a friend who was, who was talking about having a difficult conversation with his staff or staff members and and he said the illustration came to him. Someone told him the illustration that two men are sitting on a bench as they're watching a man who is blind head toward a cliff. And one man stands up and says, I'm going to stop him. He's going to go over the cliff. And the other man grabs him and says, we don't want to hurt his feelings. We don't want him to feel bad that he's blind. So as they argue and what to do, the man walks off the cliff. Who was wrong there? Both. Who needed help? The blind man. So my friend used that to be encouraged by the Lord to do it, but, but to, to be comforted. But primarily, the staff is used just to press along, just to nudge. It's the spirit in our lives through his word, through the accountability with other people, through the wise wisdom of the others, just to nudge and push and redirect and guide and, and suggest this way a little bit. But let's, let's really consider punishment and consequences and course correction because it's, it's hard. But you know, at least what I've noticed, and perhaps maybe because I was a bad kid, but I've, I, at first, you know, when you get spankings or you get in trouble or whatever it is, you, 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 or you fight back, you say no or whatever. But at some point, at least I had when I got older, I can go back to my mom and say, man, I'm so glad that you did not give up on me. Especially my brother. <laughs> but just that consequence. And just to be clear, God is not punishing us. Punishment was dealt with on the cross. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't consequences. That doesn't mean there isn't hardship. But I know that some can live in fear that, oh, I forgot to pray today. Look out for the lightning bolt. Or something bad, ha I get in a car accident, oh, clearly it's because I said a bad word six weeks ago and the lightning bolt's just catching up to me, or this car accident is just catching up to me. That's punishment, and that's not New Testament us people. The punishment, the penalty for sin is death, and that was finished on the cross. Now, again, we live in a fallen world. We are responsible for our consequences. If you think Dallas just said, I can do whatever I want and I won't be punished, uh-uh, Dallas did not say that. But it's course correction. It's growing. It's what Richard Fuller said last week. I really appreciated his story there at the end about how he worked for a, a Fortune 500 company and then he got fired. But being fired from that company in the Bay Area led him back to Modesto, which led him to a friend, which led him to church, which led him to Christ. Like ultimately, what God desires is for us to be in right relationship with him. And really, just think about discipline for those of you who are parents in here. Discipline shows that you care, and discipline shows, when you discipline your children, it shows you are my son. You are my daughter. Do you discipline other kids? I didn't ask, do you want to? <laughs> but do you discipline other kids? 
I mean, you can get permission from whatever, but do you discipline other kids? You don't. Why not? Because they're not your kids. Think about what we read in Hebrews about this very thing. Hebrews 12, 7 through 12. And it says, as you endure this divine discipline... Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respect our earthly fathers who discipline us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirit and live forever? For our earthly fathers discipline us of for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. Always good for us. So that way we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable, but while it is happening, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. See, just cliff notes here. The author of Hebrews, most likely Paul, but doesn't matter. The, the church was going through this time where they just were facing just all kinds of things. They were right at the point, the Christian people were right at the point where Rome was going to come in and just everything was going bad. Lots of violence was happening. Um, you can read on in extra biblical, they were burning Christians at, uh, on pikes. They were doing all these bad things and they were thinking, God is so mad at us. What is happening? And then what the reminder, the author of Hebrews was saying is like, look, this discipline is from God and it's always good. It doesn't say it's not without pain. He says that in verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, but it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in that way. And we have an issue with this discipline for a couple of notes that I wrote down. So this morning, if you're sitting here and you hear discipline and your mind didn't go like working out that kind of discipline or waking up every day at 4 a.m. and running your 30 million miles and reading your scripture or course correction, if you, if you hear the word discipline and, you, and your mind goes back to an awful moment, discipline is never violent from a parent. It shouldn't be. And what I notice is we avoid discipline if we were disciplined poorly growing up or if we discipline poorly. Now, it, for the parents in here, if, if you're honest, have you ever disciplined your child out of anger and totally regretted it? I mean, you flew off the handle and you, and you were wrong. There's no other way to put it. You know... As a good father, as a good mother, when something happens, you're supposed to discipline your children. After you take the moment to get a hold of yourself, then you come back in. I don't know about you, but <laughs> that doesn't always happen. It's like, I told you five million times. But, you know, consider it. It's without anger. This is, God is not angry in his discipline. He's loving in his discipline. Discipline is not from anger, but it's from love. 
And this discipline that he's talking about with the good shepherd, with the shepherd as they're guiding the sheep, it's just simply pushing him with, hey, you're going to fall off the cliff. We're on new terrain. I have already scoped this out. See, what the, the shepherd would do is after they would put him in the sheepfold, if he was going to a new place he had never been, the shepherd will stay up all night and investigate the whole new train, making sure that all of the plants and all of the poison, all of the poisonous plants, all of the predators, everything, any pitfalls, he already knows it intimately. So that way, whenever he comes back and he brings his sheep in, he already knows. So as the sheep is like, oh, this looks like a fun place to eat. He goes, no, dum-dum, that's poisonous. Don't you remember last time? Oh, no, I don't really. At least that's how I talk. But no, I don't remember that. That I... Just this redirecting, this, this pushing, this... And you know it's true, this redirecting, this, this focus that Paul has, talks about in Ephesians. We won't go there, but when he says, I'm beating my own body for the race that's set out for me. And you know that we need discipline. Think about your kids. And I, if you don't have kids, just wait. But you tell your kids, it's bedtime. What do they say? Nope. Or the classic, mom's putting the kids, kids to bed. Oh, I want daddy to do it. No, you're just delaying. Or it's bath time. Nope, I like being dirty. I took one last week. Time for school. You know, I quit school. Time for dinner. You know, ice cream sounds great. Like all of these things that we would get away from if it wasn't correction. So as we consider this, when David, when King David talks about your rod and your staff, it comforts me. He is recognizing it's not only that God has this club that he will fight off my enemies, but he is so loving he will correct me and won't leave me in my filth. Keller finishes his, sermon, his chapter by saying this, you can always tell the sheep that trust the shepherd the most. We had discussed this a little bit before. They are the sheep that is always at the feet of the shepherd. They're the first ones who hear his voice. The first ones who see his movements. The ones on the far out edge have to wait to see what everyone's doing. They're still part of the sheepfold, but not that close intimacy. That closeness to be comforted by the shepherd. And during difficult and hard times and hard uh, discipline, when the, when the shepherd does have to correct the sheep continually, what you will find is the sheep who have continually been comforted by the shepherd's staff, they are the ones that are not only at his feet, but they are the ones that stand by the shepherd's staff. So if you ever get an opportunity to see a shepherd and a sheep, pay attention to the sheep who are at the feet of the shepherd, but closely watch the sheep that are close to the staff. They have been corrected so much by the shepherd that they know he is faithful to use the staff. They are the ones that are not only at his feet, but they're the ones at the staff. And it is a sign of trust and, and comfort. And they know and they're, in, they're reassured of the love. And then Keller finished it with this one. Seven of my sheep, I just lay my staff on their back and they are totally at peace because they know I am with them. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what our good shepherd, the Lord, has for us. He invites us in
to be more like his son. And through the course of correction, he's just putting his hand on us, telling us that he loves us, correcting us because he loves us. So that's what David means when he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, not just from my enemies, but from myself. Let's pray. God, thank you that, uh, for your love and thank you for the way that you work in our lives. Lord, thank you for your rod and your staff, Lord. And it's not fun being disciplined and especially when we feel like we've been disciplined plenty. But Lord, it's because you see something in us that you know that we can be better in through your spirit. We know we won't be perfect, but we know that you comfort us. We're thankful for your spirit that guides us and leads us, Lord, and we thank you that uh, for all the work that you do that we don't see, all the times that you've used your rod and your staff on enemies we never knew were coming like that cobra. Lord, but mostly thank you for the times that when we're falling off the cliff, you, you get your shepherd's hook out and pull us out, that you protect us and that you guide us, Lord. And Lord, I pray for anyone whose experience with discipline was harsh, Lord. We know that you're the good father and that your discipline is always true and loving. Lord, will you help us for those that we have to discipline or help or guide, that we do it in a way that's honoring to them and to you? Let us not do that in anger, Lord. Lord, let us be like the sheep that are always at your feet and always at your staff because we trust you and we believe in you and that you know it is good. And as David wrote, search us, O Lord, and know what's in our heart. Reveal to us anything that's yucky and gross and bad that's not of you. Thank you again for the fact that punishment was dealt with with Jesus' body who hung on the cross. So Lord, as we sing a couple more songs to you, we just search our hearts, Lord, and reveal to us what's not of you. Thank you for not being done with us and continuing to love us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.